welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And now it is my pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Gary Danielson, lead analyst for the SEC on CBS. Um, Gary, you saw what was purported to be a football game. <laughs> it was a fabulous nice. finish. It's not nice. <laughs> well, there was there was plenty of time to uh, to to get through the the aesthetically um, the aesthetically challenging yeah. moments of this game. Um, let's go through before. Uh, the final furious run in the fourth quarter before the touchdown started. What were you seeing out of Tennessee and Florida? Uh, what were they doing to each other that was keeping this uh, so so low scoring and making both offenses really really struggle? Yeah, well, I think both offenses, uh, you know, could be pretty good. Um, however, both coaching staffs were staffs were nervous about losing the game. Uh, before winning it. They, they just didn't want to blow the game. And I think my halftime uh, on camera is pretty much how I feel right now, is that um, you know both head coaches looked across the field and said, I don't think their quarterback can beat us. So I'm not going to let our quarterback beat us. And when you call a tentative game like that with a young quarterback, that message comes across very clear. You know, every time they call a play, they'll be, be careful with it. Don't try to force it in there. Make sure you don't get a turnover. And I felt both quarterbacks were a little hesitant trying to, you know, uh, throw the ball in tight spots because they didn't want to make mistakes. Now, they made mistakes anyway. I'll give you that. But just as many as there were coaching errors and questionable strategy and uh, um, a, a plethora of other mistakes. So I th- I thought I saw pretty two pretty tight teams understanding that, um, as I said during the game, a, a win is great, you know, and obviously it, it, it keeps the, you know, the, the masses off your back for a week, uh, but a, a loss was brutal to you, both programs, and I think you could see the way the players played. Uh, that really stuck out. Well, you mentioned that uh, these these two teams and these and specifically these two offenses, they could be good. As you look out across the SEC, um, what is the ceiling for Florida and Tennessee? Two teams that would like sure. to be in the conversation for the division title, but right now uh, it looks like they've still got a ways to go before they could fulfill that kind of potential. I think so, and, and, and I think that Tennessee's schedule is brutal, and it was a game you know, where they had a chance to get it. You know, they had a couple chances early in the game to kind of you know, move away from Florida and, and make Florida open up, and who knows what kind of mistakes they were going to make if they had to do that. But for whatever reason, you know, they were, I think they had uh, 28 plays in the third quarter, and 17 of them were in plus territory, and uh, a number of them, as you know, were close to the goal line. And some questionable execution, some questionable strategy, and and, and a couple of uh, you know mishandled footballs uh, really hurt them. But you know it's not going to be easy for Tennessee. Uh, they've got a lot in front of them, a lot on the plate, and uh, you know they keep getting nicked with players going out. So it, it that was a tough one to cough up. Florida's interesting. Uh, they've gone to back-to-back championships 
playing primarily without a quarterback, playing all defense. And, and that's why I thought the Florida fan base and Jim McElwain panicked a bit early against Michigan. I mean, nobody has a problem with setting a young quarterback down for a series and then, you know, letting him come back in after he catches his breath. But, well, I thought it was a quick hook in the first game or maybe not a quick return for Felipe Franks because he's clearly a very talented kid who's very early in his career and Florida's gone like five years without a quarterback. I, I don't quite understand why they wouldn't have a little patience, look long-term, and understand that you know uh, Felipe's got a bright future if he continues to progress because he's got all the tools you need at that position. Well, they also had a couple of, of young guys look like they started to show up. I mean, Kadarius Toney made a couple plays yep. in the receiver yep. position. Tyree Cleveland, obviously... With Malik the big Davis one at the end, and Malik Absolutely. Davis with a big run. So they they might just have the light at the end of the tunnel, tunnel some offensive firepower that's coming on. Uh, you know, um, Jim McElwain felt that his this was his most uh, dominating offensive line. I, I I don't think the word dominating is the is what he should have chose. But you know, Max's his own guy. He, he kind of says stuff, and you kind of shake your. He's taking over Les Miles' spot here, you know, for interviews. So, uh, I do think they're competent. I do think they're um, they're battlers, and uh, I do think that there may be some uh, emerging playmakers that a confident Felipe Franks maybe the last three or four games this year and the rest of his career could be maybe the the beginning of a turnaround for Florida. Let's put it this way. If Florida gets to the SEC championship this year, I think they have a fighting chance. But because for them to get there, that means Franks will have progressed and they'll walk into Atlanta with a quarterback this time because the last couple of times it was like fighting with one hand behind their back. Well, as as inept as the offense has looked at times on Saturday, you, you got to give some of the credit to the defense. And, and they, they had their bright spots. Was, was either of these defensive units really – um, I mean, did they really impress you? Did they really think that they were one of these units was one that, that you could kind of ride to an SEC division title? Um, or, or you think both these units have a lot of a lot of holes in them as well? I think they do, to tell you the truth. Um, yeah. I think Florida's front uh, four off, uh, defensive linemen are, are Gator-esque. Uh, huh. I think their ends are, are good enough. I think they go six deep at defensive tackle. They've got a really nice rotation. Um, Taven Bryan, number 93, I think is a potential kind of uh, defender that could get in there and penetrate and make some plays. I do not think they're anywhere near where they were at linebacker from a year ago. And, and I am worried that they're talented out in the secondary, but very young. Yeah. Uh, the injury to Harris uh, is going to prop up now, but that's, you know, I think one thing when you watch Florida play, they believe they believe they're really good, but I but I I do not think they're to the level of the the Florida defense from a year ago. Uh, when I look at Tennessee, uh, I just think they may be a year away with the playmakers they need. They've had another injury again uh, uh, at linebacker. Uh, I don't really see any game changer in the defensive line. Kongbo may be number one. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, number 19, maybe if he keeps improving. But I, I do not think they're dominating defense. I think they'd be a nice fit with an efficient, good offense. But there, there's still a ways to go, I think, with the defenses to be at that caliber where they can shut down opponents. 
Well, what was your uh, – and, and talking to Butch Jones, I mean, he's an interesting uh, one in terms of coming right. into this game, being a guy that's won nine games a couple years but is still some – I mean, is still very much in a tricky spot, for lack sure of a better is. phrase. Yeah. Uh, what What is the vibe you got from him just in talking to him about how he's handling maybe the pressures of this year and knowing how tough that schedule is that you mentioned? Right. I, I think for the most part, uh, it, I think he's a little frustrated. I think when, you know, Butch talks to you, he wants to point out that, you know, this place was in rough shape when I came here. Yeah. And we've built it slowly. It's a very tough conference, especially for Tennessee because of their crossover game with Alabama every year to, to, to really get it going. He believes he's on the, uh, in, in the right spot. But as he's built the team, you know, he, he got kind of he, he kind of built the defense and then waited for Dobbs to get to that spot to win. And then now all of a sudden, uh, you know, Dobbs leaves and he's got to start all over with a quarterback. Uh, now, um, I think frustration is one, but I think also realization that, you know, in this league, maybe going forward, it might be two losses that wins the division is going to be the norm rather than the exception in these conferences. And that'll be really tricky for the playoffs as it moves forward because, you know, the SEC, how do you have a championship without the SEC involved? And if Alabama ever comes back, Alabama ever comes back to reality and plays like everybody else, you could have everybody knocking each other off with a couple losses, and then it, then it's a struggle to get in the Final Four playoff. Well, Alabama is uh, in the SEC game of the week this weekend in right. Nashville playing at Vanderbilt. What How about you, that? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I've been doing it. I, I guess CBS has had this package over 15 or 16 years and has never chosen Vanderbilt as the game of the week. Really? That, there, there were a little bit – I mean, that was a smart – forward-thinking pick, though. I mean, they, you almost had to gamble a little bit that they were going to beat Kansas State yes. when you made that call, I guess. Right. Well, it, it is complicated, and maybe a, a peek into the under the tent might be interesting is, uh, you know, you can only show a team five times, uh, and you don't want to backload your, your uh, picks too much. It's hard not to show Alabama in September. I mean, they are the best rating team, um, and the, you have the uh, Iron Bowl that you have to save a game for. And then you have your primetime game that's, uh, what is it, November 4th or first weekend in November. Correct. And that's when they play LSU. So there's three games right on the schedule right there. You need a September game. You, you need the last game to save. And then you have a primetime game. So now how do you fit the other two games in? You know, so Should you take Arkansas? Should you take Tennessee? And then all of a sudden here pops up Mississippi State. And you, you know towards the end of the year, if Mississippi State is real and Alabama is going along as the number one team in the country, that might be a big rating game. So it, it's really a delicate balance. I don't, I'm not involved in it, but I, I do know there's a lot of talk that goes on every week on how to place these games. But Vanderbilt fit nicely for us this year because it allowed us to do uh, get Georgia on next week. They're the team that has emerged with that win. And if we would have taken uh, next week's game with Alabama – uh, we would have missed Georgia. So I, I think it's working out pretty well for us. And and Vandy, as you said, has done well uh, and done their part going 3-0. The the Commodores' defense, very well coached. Yes. I uh-huh. I'm, I get the sense that this would be this will be a great 
test for Alabama and a great chance for us to learn a lot about this Alabama offense, particularly uh, as it has gone against opponents uh, a step down in competition since playing Florida State. Yeah, and um, that's really the challenge that I think uh, Nick Saban kind of fights. Um, You ever see the movie uh, Whiplash? Where where um, the, the the kid is the drummer and yeah. uh, the, and the professor you know he looks like he sounds like he's playing perfectly and then and the the conductor <laughs> teacher keeps uh, smacking him and saying it ain't right it ain't right it ain't right and pounding the table kind of reminds me of Nick Nick has a bit <laughs> a bigger vision right of what Alabama needs to do I think Alabama every week is competing as he watches the tape against Clemson, Oklahoma, USC, Ohio State, Penn State, Oklahoma State. He knows the teams that he has to beat to win it all, and in his mind's eye, he knows what he has to have to beat them. So every week, yeah, you got to get through this week. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't want a, a, a South Carolina pot to pop up, and it's very similar time back in 2010 when, you know, Stephen Garcia and Marcus Lattimore did – performed and Steve Spurrier performed a really keep away game and knocked them off. But as he puts this game together against a pretty good defense, I don't know if they're in the, the right weight division to play Alabama, but a pretty good defense, a, a, a very cerebral, uh, Jim rat, you know, uh, in, in Kyle Shermer, whose father's a coach, uh, who understands, I think how to compete and and, and control the ball. And he's really improved. But Alabama's playing a whole different game than everybody else, it looks like. Is the distance between Alabama and the rest of the SEC, or do you think that there's a couple of teams through uh, three weeks, maybe a, maybe a Georgia, maybe a Mississippi State? Who are the other teams that you've looked out and seen that could maybe deserve a spot up in that top tier? Well, you know, we've kind of bounced around here as to, you know, what that next team could be. And in the West – you know, everybody was saying, well, it's probably going to be Auburn, might be LSU, hey. could be Texas A&M. Well, <laughs> you know, after three weeks, you know, everybody goes, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's grab some other teams, you know. <laughs> so um, I, I think the Georgia win at Notre Dame proved that they can go into a big atmosphere, uh, you know, with having uh, Chubb and Sonny Michelle healthy this year because beginning of last year, when Jacob Eason was playing, they both were tentative, especially Chubb. You couldn't use Michelle as a featured back every time. And, and uh, I thought their wide receivers and their defense really wasn't ready for prime time. But I think in year two, they're, they're becoming a good football team. So if they can get to that last game against Alabama, I think they would be the most likely team. I think Florida's interesting because – their, as we mentioned, their youth on defense and their youth at quarterback, if they get there, will be a you know ten game veteran by the time that game. After that, you know, I really have trouble, and I and I do think, for me in this league, this is probably the first year that I've seen a significant drop off. You know, I thought up before maybe Ole Miss could catch him, maybe LSU had the talent, you know, with Fournette to catch him, but this year now it it is beginning to look like if Alabama doesn't beat themselves, uh, it's going to be tough for an SEC team to beat them. Is that more of a commentary on the rest of the SEC, or is it still a commentary on how good Alabama is? Because the, part of me thinks there's a Alabama looks a little more vulnerable this year than, than I, they I did agree. last year. I agree. Interesting. 
Yes, it is interesting, uh, especially considering the injuries and and the number of what do they have six uh, drafted players off defense and the injuries at linebacker. I, I think right. that's a good observation. Um, I, you know, the commentary is very unique in the conference this year. The commentary from a lot of the talking heads is there's a drop off in coaching in this conference. You know, with Spurrier not there, less miles gone. Uh, it, it just feels a little different in the conference. Um, however, if you turn it upside down a little bit, if you were going to project to the off season and name three coaches, head coaches, who would be hot names to fill other big time jobs, I think the three most, the biggest, hottest names right now to be hired would be Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. Mark Stoops at Kentucky. He's gone 11 and four since he lost to Florida a year ago, and he's got him this week. And Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. So as much as people might say, boy, there's not as much good coaching going on in this conference, the three hottest prospects might be from this conference. So it, it's tough to figure out. I uh, but uh, I think with Jalen Hurts being a little more experienced, and with the bevy of running backs and with his ability maybe to get the ball to the wide receivers better this year than last year, I, I, I still think it's it's Alabama who, you know, yeah, they might yawn for a couple games and, and not look quite as good. But, I, you know, they're getting three linebackers back this week. I still think they're the team to beat. And I think there's a clear step between them and the rest of the conference. What are you excited to see from the Crimson Tide this week? Like, what are you what are you tuned in for yeah. um, from from being up there in terms of uh, ways that they've changed or ways to be able to look at this football team as they do continue on that path, looking to claim another Southeastern Conference championship? Sure, I, I think the impact that Brian Dable is going to have on the team is what I'm interested in mostly. Uh, that would be number one because I, I I think when Nick looked at it and he measured how the up-tempo, no-huddle caught him a little bit in the last game when he couldn't hold the ball and keep it away from another hot quarterback. Most of Nick's offenses in all of his years prior had a great balance and the ability, you know, maybe not to just roll over people running the ball, but keep them off balance, running, passing, play action. Uh, they became so much dependent on Jalen Hurts running that as soon as they met a team that could negate him, that could be as athletic as Jalen Hurts, like Clemson, uh, they struggled on offense. So I think he's uh, he's looking there and says, yeah, we may score with some big plays and our quarterback can gain a lot of yards, but can we run the ball when we have to run the ball to keep the quarter, quarterback on the sideline? Because look what's going to happen. When they get there in, in the playoff games, they're going to be playing against a Mason Rudolph or a Baker Mayfield or a Sam Darnold, you know, or, you know, she's McSorley at Penn State. They're going to want to keep them on the sidelines a little bit because even the great Alabama defense can't play 90-plus plays and shut down a good football team. So I think that's where, as they are a work in progress, can they use all their weapons and not just Jalen Hurts? That's number one. Number two is, who replaces those two NFL edge rushers? Uh, you know, when, when you look at you know, Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams, I mean, they didn't have to blitz last year. They knew they had two NFL guys and defenses had to figure out a way to block them or keep a back in. Who will emerge in that spot 
this year? Would it be Rashad Evans? Will it be Anthony Hard- uh, Pen- Hardaway? No, that's not his name. <laughs> Anthony Penny. Jennings. Excuse me. Yes. I'm switching sports. <laughs> um, so um, I think if they get a guy that can be a dominant or, or, or a lethal, now maybe not dominant, but a lethal edge rusher, they might not be any different than they were last year on defense. This weekend with Vanderbilt coming down, you got to touch on them being maybe different weight division, got a, got a playmaker yeah. or a good player at quarterback. But I think Vanderbilt has at least surprised a lot of people in, in the way they've started Absolutely. beating Kansas State. You know, Kentucky over there in the East is, is, has done some good things so far, too, with the win against South Carolina. Between those two is one of them, and I guess we'll find out a lot about Vandy this weekend, but heading into this game, as you've, if you've watched Vandy a little bit, is one of those two, uh, you think, a legitimate contender in the East more than the other one? And and I guess what has impressed you uh, about Vanderbilt with what you've seen so far? Well, ever since Derek Mason has taken over the defensive coordinator position a year ago, the team has done nothing but get better. Um, they have a really nice formula going right now. Um, you know, they don't rush players on the field. They play. They let these players come in. You know, they're not four or five-star players that can play right away. So they have to go in the weight room. They have to mature a little bit. They have to learn, you know, the, the techniques that Derek wants in his defense. Uh, he's very aggressive. Uh, he plays a lot of man-to-man. Uh, and and he, he drops that safety into the box and forces you to throw the ball, which means he puts pressures on his corner. So um, they are, again, they've, they've got a, a nice mix of, strong senior players and, and, and a few young players that he's been, you know, red shirting and getting ready to, to play. So I, I like their defense, but now, you know, the, the bell rings this week. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I've never really, I've been in doing this now for 12 years and in the last 11 years in the SEC, I, this is an impossible uh, storyline to almost believe that the three main games, the feature games are Kentucky Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. I yeah. mean, it really is interesting. I think Kentucky has a legitimate chance to knock off Florida, what, for the first time in 30 years? Or yep. is it 40 years? Who it's knows? Okay. 30 years. I, I think 30 years. I think when you're looking at Mississippi State going into Georgia, Georgia obviously has to look a, a, a bit ahead. When they were looking at the schedule, they were going, okay, we've got a, a nice game prior to the Tennessee game. So now that looks like a heavyweight matchup because not only did – um, Mississippi State beat LSU, but they matched them physically in that football game. And that was very impressive. And Dan looks like he's got another one of those teams. And Kentucky, you know, they, they're they just dying. They they got humiliated last year playing against Florida. And now they've gone 11-4 and four since then, and they've got Florida coming in, a fragile Florida football team, uh, you know, that they, they could go – you know, two and a half quarters again without scoring a touchdown, or maybe they've found Felipe Franks and are going to let him do a few more things. But I like their their spot. In fact, I like all three of them to make a statement game this week. If if Mississippi State wins, they're legit contender in the West. If Kentucky wins, I believe people are have to going to prop up and say, hey, does this really happening? Do they have a physical enough football team that they're going to contend? If Vanderbilt wins. I think people will salute Derek Mason and say he's building a program for the long run and he's on the right path. Vanderbilt could probably just just keep it within ten or fourteen points and and they make that, that kind of statement. Yeah. If yeah. They, I agree with that. And the way I said it, I kind of didn't like it. You said it better. If they can keep this a football game, it's a great weekend for Vanderbilt football game. 
football. As you've looked across the nation, uh, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about Alabama, Nick Saban grading the Crimson Tide against some of the teams that they might be meeting in the playoff. Has your perception of the national scene, the top five or six or so teams in the country, has that changed much at all since the beginning of the season? Like, What's surprised you so far through three weeks of play? How good Clemson is. Oh, they're good. That, I think that I, – I, I'm, I'm, listen, they're, they're, they're reloading the way Ohio State – Oklahoma and and Alabama have been reloading. Maybe even Florida State throw in there. I mean, it, it's it's hard to do what they do. I mean, they lost again six. Usually, when a team like Clemson has six players drafted, two number ones, even Ben Bolware wasn't drafted their middle linebacker, but I I, I I know he went somewhere. I don't know if he made the team, but he's good enough to play in the NFL. And they don't look like they've missed a step. In fact. Their defensive line might look more dominating this year, and that's a defensive line two years in a row that took on and defeated an Alabama offensive line, and or at least went toe to toe with them. So now they're back again, and they look just as good. And with Kelly Bryant, yeah, I mean, I never saw that coming. I mean, and uh, they and they look they look really good, and uh, maybe the team to beat in the country. Um, I, I I picked USC to go undefeated. And they've struggled a bit, which I'm a little bit surprised with. And they have a tough schedule in front of them. So, you know, maybe that's the one team. I also thought, JT, my, you know, my dark horse team and player to win the, uh, the Heisman was JT Barrett. I really thought new offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson. He was once the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma under Bobby Stoops. He built the Indiana program and he threw the ball and moved the ball on everyone. He was the offensive coordinator at Northwestern when Zach Kustak and they were building that thing under Randy Walker and scored all those points. I thought he'd have an instant effect on this Ohio State offense, but that has not seemed to happen. So I would say the biggest surprise in the positive is Clemson and in the negative is Ohio State. What about Jeff Brom start at Purdue? Gary. How about that? How yeah, about I, it? I, well, and, and legitimately – now, this Michigan going to Purdue that looked like part of a week schedule for Michigan coming up this week now looks like a football game. The way Purdue stood toe-to-toe with Louisville and the way they, they moved the ball last week, uh, I think uh, people are saying, okay, this is a football game. And if Michigan wins, they will earn that win. I, I think it's one of the really featured games uh, on, on tap this week. The other one that's really interesting to me is Oklahoma State TCU. Um, TCU has a brutal schedule. Oklahoma State looks like they reinvented offense. <laughs> so I, I think th- that is a real a, a big game to look at. And understanding the Big 12, ironically, this year, with their early wins, TCU's win, Oklahoma State's win and dominance, Oklahoma's win at Ohio State, this might be the year they don't need the, the Big 12 championship game, and they might get it and not want it. It might be Oklahoma and Oklahoma State playing a rematch and knock each other out of it. So this might be the one year that the Big 12 doesn't need the game and they, and they end up having to play it. Gary, before we get you out of here, I wanted to ask you about LSU because that was obviously uh, yeah. coaching change, uh, big-name coordinator coming in. Should we start kicking dirt on their grave just yet? Or, or what were your impressions of the way they got beat against uh, Mississippi State last weekend? I didn't. I didn't really see the game. I have yep. to admit, and I was shocked to, to see that. You know, I was riding back in the car, and I, the score kept going up and up and up. And it, it did appear 
that you know the LSU players again became frustrated. It, I think it's been something that has been sticking out for a while now. That um, you know they look at themselves at LSU as an equal to Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State. You know, and and it hasn't been working out that way. And I I thought you know the the guys that go to LSU don't return phone calls to Mississippi State when they're being recruited. And they just got a dog beaten out of them. Yeah. So you could see the frustration. Um, it, 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 as you said, two highly paid quarter, coordinators. I thought Matt Canada would be perfect for that offense as a transition from the running attack and a little bit more play action, a little bit more aggressiveness throwing the ball. But um, that one shocked me, I have to admit. So we, we will see if they, you know, as every coach tells you, nobody feels sorry for you in this league. That's for sure. <laughs> well, Gary, thank you so much. Listeners, remember, you can catch Gary Danielson with Brad Nessler and Allie LaForce. It is the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. Alabama, number one team in the country, traveling to Nashville to play Vanderbilt. Get your Vanderbilt on CBS while you can. It's on. It's on right now. Uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time for the kickoff. You can watch it on CBS, cbssports.com, and all OTT devices. Gary, thanks so much. We'll catch up next week. All right, guys. Thanks. Barton, it's, yep. uh, it's, a, it's a special thing to be able to look good and feel comfortable in underwear. It's, uh, it's something that you can only find at MeUndies. We've got our MeUndies. It's life-changing, man. S- super... Super soft. And the great thing, by the way, is that the fabric, which again, it's three times softer than cotton. Uh, it is a sustainably sourced, naturally soft fabric. Three times softer than cotton. Um, and it you look great. So you feel naked, but you're not actually naked. Uh, the ladies compromise. Yeah, the ladies love the soft touch. Uh, and there's a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee that you will love your undies when you place an order. And you, as a listener of the twenty four seven sports college football podcast, you get twenty percent off free shipping and that satisfaction guarantee. Just go to meundies.com slash CFB. That's meundies.com slash CFB, college football. This is a limited time offer. Do not wait. Start wearing the best underwear of your life. It's changed our lives, and we are totally sold, so it's time to let MeUndies change yours. Go to meundies.com slash CFB right now. We're getting into specifics. Game breakdown. Specifics. Game breakdown. If they played on a neutral field, you would take them. And now, please to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast from Dogs247, it is Rusty Mansell. Rusty, uh, how you doing, man? Doing good. Just um, wait on this big game this weekend. I think all the buzz um, is is turned up a notch after what Mississippi State did to LSU on national TV. I think that got the attention of the entire nation, but I think it got the attention of the Georgia Bulldog Nation really quick this past weekend. Starting uh, from what you thought about this Bulldogs team coming into the season through three games, what do you think has surprised you the most? I knew their defense was going to be pretty good. I thought their front seven had a chance. I knew their interior guys. You start talking about Trent Thompson, a young man that that we were high on on 24-7 sports in the 2015 class, a five-star uh, defensive tackle out of Albany Westover High School. I knew he was going to be special, but I think the surprise so far 
for this season has been the play of Lorenzo Carter, former five-star high school player at Norcross High School. Uh, he has been tremendous. He has played like a five-star. He, quite frankly, he's played like an NFL first-rounder. Six foot six, two hundred and forty-five pounds, and at times he has been unblockable. I think fourteen tackles, three and a half sacks, uh, team leading seven pressures, quarterback pressures already. Uh, Davin Belney opposite of him. Those guys. Uh, I think Georgia's defense was going to be good. I just didn't know how good the outside pressure is going to be. And when you can pressure the quarterback without bringing those exotic blitzes and things like that, it will cover up that young secondary that Georgia has. And that's been the surprise to me. They haven't had to bring a ton of pressure, and they've done it with their front seven. And Roquan Smith, absolute monster at linebackers, played well. Uh, obviously, with the Easton injury, that changed things. Jake Fromm hasn't surprised me. I knew he could do what he's doing. He's playing within the system and, and he's getting better each game. But I think what really surprised me is how good Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy have played on the edge. Well, Rusty, defense has been obviously a strength. They've been awesome. Offensively, it's it's hard to tell for me whether they've just been sort of doing what they have to do to win or whether there's really going to be some some concerns offensively long term. Where are we yeah. heading into Mississippi State? And and I guess maybe just start at quarterback. Like, uh, I, what's the latest is, because as I understand it, Easton's practicing again. Is this still Jake Fromm starting week, or or are we back to, to maybe get some Easton? Well, you know, he, Jacob Easton was out on, on the practice field yesterday and doing some things, but um, I don't expect him to play this week. I think he was out throwing the ball and, and knowing Kirby Smart, he probably was giving those guys a little bit something extra to think about. But um, I don't expect Jacob Eason to play this week. Uh, I don't know as far as uh, when he'll be back. I do I do think maybe in a couple of weeks. But uh, you're right. That's the question. What What is the identity of Georgia's offense? You know, where, what are they going to be long term? What, what are they trying to do? Sometimes they throw a little bit. Sometimes they run a little bit. They haven't really created that identity. I know they want to run the ball with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and this, this really good freshman, DeAndre Swift, U.S. Army All-American from Philadelphia. That is a big question. What are they going to do? I think a lot of those questions are going to be answered this weekend against a really, really good Mississippi State team. They are going to have to score points no matter how good that defense plays, in my opinion. Uh, but – I just think right now there's still questions. What are they going to do? But would you look at Jake Fromm? He's had a couple of turnovers, but he's also made some big-time throws. He had a big drop by Miko Hardman in the Notre Dame game, and he put one absolutely on the money this weekend to Riley Ridley on about a 50-yard gain. And when you do that and you can loosen him up a little bit, I mean, he's made a couple of true freshman mistakes, but he's also shown that he can throw the ball vertically and do that. So, I think Jake Fromm, again, has played within the system. He's made enough plays to make the defense respect him. He's going to get you in and out of plays, and they're giving him the playbook a little bit more. But, again, the question is, what is the identity? What do they want to do? And I think some of those answers are going to be answered this weekend with Georgia. Are they still question marks next week? Or is Nick Chubb, they're running the ball? Or can they turn Jake Fromm loose, let him throw it 25 times? I think we're going to see that Saturday night. How different would they look right now if Eason was under center? Or how different would they have looked the past couple of weeks? Would they have would they have been a little bit more wide open? Or is this? do you think this is sort of the, the Georgia team 
that Kirby Smart envisioned this fall? You know, it's kind of hard to answer that because I will right. say this, that the, the, the buzz around the fall and everybody I talk to, I know Kirby Smart, you don't get to go, the media sees very little practice area, but everybody I talked to that, that got a chance. And in fact, I talked to several people that were at the Tuesday practice before the Appalachian State game, and they were telling me how good Jacob Eason looked. They did a team session, and he was absolutely throwing darts and threw a couple of deep balls on the money. Well, he comes into the game on Saturday. He runs two series, had a couple of overthrown balls, just lit, didn't look great. Uh, you know, they, they were in double tights. They go to a spread set, maybe going to try to run some RPOs with him. On, on the third play of that series, he gets hurt. So you really don't know what Georgia would look like with him. Obviously, they probably dialed some things back a little bit with Jake Fromm because he's not going to be that threat that Jacob Easton can throw that ball over the deep man at any time. You always got to have somebody back. Tennessee learned that last year, almost cost them the game there at the end. But Jake Fromm, you know, short, intermediate. We know that, Bart. We've seen it all the time. He's going to pick you apart. He's going to throw a lot of things in between the hash. Uh, you know, he's not going to make that deep throw all the way across the field, across the hash, as much as Jacob Eason would. But it's kind of hard to say where they would be. So it's going to be interesting when he comes back healthy, what are they going to look like uh, with Jacob Eason? Because I don't think we honestly got the fair look at him based off what I was hearing from the first four or five weeks of fall camp. When, uh, when that Mississippi State team comes to town, uh, they've got a defensive front with Todd Grantham there and a defensive front that has grown up a lot over the last couple of seasons. Um, how do you gauge that matchup of Georgia's offensive line going up against Mississippi State and in the hopes that Georgia would be able to open up some holes for Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle to move the ball and keep the ball out of Nick Fitzgerald's hands? Anybody that has covered Todd Grantham or anybody that's watched Todd Grantham's games or anybody that's studied film with Todd Grantham knows one thing. He loves to bring an extra guy. He's going to bring one more than you've got, and he's going to bring it from a different angle. When he was at Georgia, he would bring Jordan Jenkins and those guys and Leonard Floyd from different places. At all times, he would line them up. He would bring a safety blitz. He is going to flat out come after Jake Fromm. I know Georgia is preparing for that all week. What is Fromm going to be? Is he going to be able to burn them? Because they're going to put their corners in a lot of one-on-one situations. Can Georgia, can those wide receivers, can six-foot-four Javon Williams, can Riley Ridley and those guys separate to make a play? Terry Godwin, who's, who's had a very good first three games, can he make some plays? Georgia's offensive line, can they get some push against them? That's going to be a matchup. But I think that the, the chess play in this game is going to be how Georgia handles those blitzes because Todd Grantham, you can say what you want about him, but you see to read the stories on Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart when those guys were at Florida and those guys were at Alabama. They went out to Dallas at times and spent time with him with the Cowboys, and he showed them some of the blitzes and some of the things he would dial up these exotic blitzes, quote-unquote exotic things he would do, and he will bring some stuff that Jake Fromm has not seen. How will he handle that? How will Georgia block it? Can the running backs help him? Can a young DeAndre Swift, if he's in the game, is he going to be able to pick up the extra guy? Because Todd Grantham is going to bring it against Jake Fromm this weekend. Well, I think that brings up another point, too, because coming into this year, Rusty, I mean, we, we would talk about it all the time, just 
getting on the phone. Like, what's is, you know, who's going to step up at offensive line? How good is the offensive line going to be? Because that was what, what the issue really was last year. So yes. I guess what what's how do you grade out this offensive line through a couple weeks of the season, and and how do you expect them to handle what Todd Grantham's going to throw at them? Well, Barton, something that me and you kind of, I wouldn't say we we didn't, doing our job. We got to see it up close. Andrew Thomas, it took about a day and a half in San Antonio for me and you to go, uh-oh, yeah. this guy needs to move up. And, and, it, and he put on a show in Texas, and he just carried over this, this fall. And that has been an absolute blessing in disguise for Georgia because all the hype was around Isaiah Wilson. He's still probably going to be a good player for Georgia, but he is not game ready as Andrew Thomas, who had a bunch of offers. And don't get me wrong, he wasn't underrated. He was just needed to be higher rated based off what everybody saw. He has played right tackle and played phenomenal. This allowed Isaiah Wynn to play left tackle where he's been a little bit more natural. He's not the biggest guy, but he has great feet, and he has protected the blind side pretty well of Jake Fromm. Where Georgia has to be concerned is in the interior line. They are trying to figure out those guard spots. They've tried Kendall Baker there. They've tried Solomon Kinley there. They've got Lamont Galliard at center who's been there. He's been up and down. You know, they've tried um, Deshaun, Deshaun Sims there. You know, where are they going to get the – who's going to be in the final mix there at the, those guard positions? Because that's where they're having some trouble at times. Solomon Kinley, six foot six, 330 pounds, absolute hammer at guard. And when he gets his hands on you, he moves you. Not the best pass blocker. So Kendall Baker, a better pass blocker doesn't quite move the guys out of the box like the other guys. So they're trying to find the mix there in, inside. The tackles have played well. And Andrew Thomas has been the surprise of the fall. Interior-wise is where they've got to improve. And I guarantee you this weekend you're going to see some blitzes up the middle from Todd Grantham to try to expose that weakness in the Georgia offensive line. So you've got some uh, some weaknesses on the offensive line, the young secondary that you mentioned, but still, when you look across the landscape of the Southeastern Conference right now, Rusty, I see a Georgia team that looks absolutely top tier, certainly in the SEC East, uh, right there be, having boots on the ground. Do you feel like, uh, knowing the rest of the SEC and knowing this Georgia team, do you feel like you're watching an SEC East championship caliber team? Team? Well, you you got to you got to be honest. I don't care who you're a fan of. The, the East it is not exactly bringing it to the table this year. I mean, when you look at what you saw this weekend, I mean, Missouri that that was it spoke itself. The Tennessee Florida game that that wasn't the that wasn't the Peyton Manning versus Danny Werfel days. I can assure you of that. <laughs> um, you, you start you start looking at these games. I mean, look, Vanderbilt. Don't sleep on Vanderbilt. I, I know Barton is aware of that. You see those, a great coach team. I'm Kentucky, very impressed with their quarterback and how they went on the road. South Carolina with a huge injury to Debo Samuel. But you look at Georgia, and they have got to be the favorite. They are very, very, very upper-class team, especially on defense. you got Sony Michelle. you got Nick Chubb. By the time they play, start playing these games, Jake Fromm's going to have some more and more experience. So, you know, this isn't life or death game for Georgia, but this is a game. If Georgia gets by this game, things really, really start looking up for them. They've got to go to Tennessee next week, and that's going to be a tough game always. And then they've got, but if Georgia gets by this game, things really start looking like, wait a minute, they could have a special season going on here, but they're going to play a very, very tough team 
uh, on Saturday night. And I think personally, uh, Alabama, Mississippi State, and Georgia right now look to be the, the, the class of the SEC. I, I was very, very high on Auburn. I know their defense is really good, but right now their offense is just in shambles. So we'll see if they can correct that and see if they get uh, fixed down the season. But, uh, you know, Mississippi State with a senior quarterback, uh, a lot of experience there. Uh, Todd Grantham's got them playing well on defense, too. I'm just a big, big believer in playing well on defense, uh, and especially with a, a quarterback like Fitzgerald, uh, senior quarterback experience guy. So, Rusty, in some ways with the East being down, as you as you mentioned, mm-hmm. doesn't it make things almost a little bit trickier now for, for Kirby in, in the sense that now everyone expects him to win it? And he's still in year yeah. two, and he's still got a mm-hmm. true freshman quarterback. And yeah. Yeah. what happens if he doesn't? What what's what is the expectations in in Athens right now, and with the fan base, is is he forgiven if if he slips up and and lets somebody else take the East this year, or or is is the margin for error pretty pretty slim for him right now? Just kind of take me through where you think the fan base is at. This is a big boy league, and these guys <laughs> are getting paid big boy money. I mean, that is, and th- these fans know that they are the probably the heavy favorite to win this East. And they know what they've seen. And Georgia has not been back there in a couple of years. And this is a very, very experienced team. Uh, the, Kirby Smart will take, now he's not going to be on a hot seat, but he will take yeah. a yeah. substantial amount of heat from some fans if, if they don't win the East. I, I will be honest with that. Uh, you know, in his second year. And, you know, if they were to get beat by some fluke play and, and they, they finish up 6-2 and two and somebody else 6-2 and two beats them head-to-head, that's different. But, uh, you know, I certainly think they're the heavy favorite right now to win the East, uh, especially where they're playing defense. Uh, and I, I think the Georgia fan base is certainly thinks they better be playing in that Mercedes-Benz Dome uh, come early December. Well, to your point, I guess it's kind of – Depends on how they look doing it too. Like if they win the East and yeah. play some really good football, getting there that's one thing. But if they're, you know, no, mm-hmm. nobody left that Florida Tennessee game happy, winner or loser, because no. it just was ugly football. No. So I, I guess no. that's the, the the next step for Georgia is just to look the part. Yeah, you know, you take. I mean, you, you go back to a year like 2007. I think South Carolina beat them, like what, or Tennessee beat them 35 to 14. I mean, absolutely destroyed Matt Stafford and no Sean Marino and those guys just destroyed them. And then they ran off what nine in a row after that and finished, wind up finished number two in the country. So nobody really talked about that game, but they yeah. finished 11 and two, you know, at that point they were three and two. There was a lot of heat on that team, but the way they finished, it, it took care of the problem. So there could be some losses and you got to finish right at the right time. Uh, but I just think that the, the, the fan base knows it is right for the picking. They've got a very, very experienced team, a lot of a lot of experience on defense. You know what that means in the SEC. Uh, you're expected to win. Well, in this matchup of uh, first-class SEC teams, the top tier, uh, let's let's go ahead and get to it. What, what's your game score? What's your prediction? What's your pick? Uh, you've mentioned some of the chess oh. chess games going on here. Hey, I, Rusty, we got to yeah, get these this, picks. This is big boy ball, Rusty. You said it now. You coming on the show? You got to play big boy ball. Hey, wait a minute now. Y'all didn't say that. About had to pick this early in the week now. <laughs> you know, I, I really, I didn't really start thinking about it until this morning. Um, and I, I and I, I I talked to an NFL guy this morning, NFL scout. I, I won't say, but um, and I talked to him about Mississippi State, and, and they've got some very highly rated players. Uh, 
um, I think this game is going to be one of those uh, knockdown, drag out Saturday night SEC games that you're used to seeing, and one of those games that everybody talks about. Wow, that was two good teams and two good games. Not one of those where everybody leaves on last Saturday going, I can't believe those two teams looked like that. Um, I think this. I think Georgia is vastly improved in their special teams. Mm. And they brought in Scott Fountain from Auburn, who was a special teams coach there. He's now a quality control guy. He's helping Shane Beamer. You know, they've got the punter, the fifth-year graduate transfer from Columbia. I I don't want to screw his name up, but he has been phenomenal flipping the field. Rodrigo Blankenship, other than the, the little short miss at Notre Dame, has been pretty good. He's kicking the ball off. Their special teams have been great. I think Georgia makes a play on special team Saturday and wins this thing. And I'm talking it is an absolute fantastic football game. I'm going to say Georgia 21 to 20, and it's going to be a nail-biter all the way through to the very end. And the only reason I'm taking Georgia, and I'll be honest with you, it is in Athens at night, and that place is going to be electric. It's going to be a SEC Saturday night. Um, home field advantage toward the end, but I think Nick Fitzgerald coming home, uh, grew up a Georgia fan. You know, his uncle played at Georgia. It's going to be, I think he's going to play well. I think at the very end, Georgia's going to make something happen on special teams, a fumble recovery, punt return, something. They're going to change the scope of that game. They're going to hold on to win 21 to 20. Woo! Is it buzzing yet down there? What's what's the what's is the campus oh, already yeah. hopping? Oh, yeah. I don't know. If you're not in Athens oh, right now, yeah. but what's no. going on? Down I can there? tell you. I can tell you. There's nobody doing homework this week around there. <laughs> I mean, you know, and the thing about Georgia's home schedule is not good at all this year. It's, it's you know, and we look at when you looked at the schedule early in the year, everybody talked about the South Carolina game. That was going to be the big game, and then all of a sudden. Last week happens, and now this Mississippi State game, and when it happened, I mean, it turned quickly. And I can gauge things by my text messages, and when people started asking for tickets, if I knew anybody <laughs> with tickets, Sunday morning at 7 a.m., I knew what kind of week it was going to be. And, uh, you know, our board on 24-7, our Georgia board, is there, they've got ticket requests, and, and, uh, and if anybody listen to this, I don't have tickets. I'm not going. I'm gonna sit in front of my TV and watch it like everybody else. So um, it's gonna be a big, it's gonna be a big time environment. Huge recruiting list. Uh, you know, probably number one player in the country. Probably not 100% confirmed. Justin Fields Woo! probably be back in Athens again for the second weekend. So um, there'll be a lot of recruits there to watch that game. This is the this this is the biggest atmosphere that we we're gonna have for a Georgia home game. Since what the Auburn game last year? Maybe I was trying. I was trying to run through my head that Saturday night environment in Athens, and it's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, well, yeah. Pre-game, uh, the pre-game, you go back to probably 2015 when it, when it was raining. Um, when Alabama came on the field, it was pretty hype, but it, that lasted not very long, uh, <laughs> as you could imagine. Uh, there was a lot of buzz going into that game, but. Auburn's always a big, big game, you know, in Athens. But this one's different. There's so many stories around this. You know, I think I think the way Mississippi State just just dismantled LSU is what's turned this thing up. Because I, I read the the boards, and half of them don't still don't want to believe it. You know, that was a fluke, and the other half is, you know, we better strap it up this week. This is a real team, and. 
the Nick Fitzgerald story is going to be told all week long. The kids from Savannah, Georgia, and Georgia didn't offer, you know, and nobody offered. You know, that's the story. Nobody offered. Um, the kid played in the wing tee, you know, quarterback his senior year only. Uh, but he's done a phenomenal job, and Dan Mullen's done a hell of a job uh, developing him. And you got to give them a lot of credit. And uh, you know, everything I've heard about the young man, he's he's a great leader on and off the field, and and uh, probably going to have a good career on Sundays as well. So, Rusty, before we get let you get out of here, you know this is typically a college football show this time of year, but uh, the number one player in the country, we, we can make an exception for. So. Give us the latest on Justin Fields, the guy that I've said is going to win a national title no matter where he goes to school. Uh, where, where are we at? I know, I know everyone's a little bit in the dark, but you're as connected as anybody. So, mm-hmm. so give me kind of the, the lay of the land on where things stand with Justin Fields right now. I'll tell you how much he's watched. And, and Barton, we've been doing this a long time, and, and we went through the Jacob Easton deal. We've been through the Robert Kimdichie and Reuben Foster and all those kids in the state of Georgia. Justin Fields is so watched. I just got tagged on Twitter on what shirt he had on today at school. Ha! And that's not, a, that's not a big deal, but it's about the third day in a row I've been tagged on what shirt he's had on. You know, I know he had an Auburn shirt on Friday night. He had a Georgia shirt on Saturday. And today at school, he had a Florida State shirt on. So that's, that's what type of uh, attention he's drawing and all that. He was in Athens again last weekend. You go to his 24-7 sports profile, look at his timeline. That's the fourth time since July the 4th. Barton, what do you say on those things? Follow the follow visits. The visits. <laughs> you follow the visits. You've always said that. Where is he going to probably go this weekend? That will be his fifth trip since mid-July. So if you're going to play the numbers, you're going to play the visits and watch things. He's been over there to Georgia a lot. His sister verbally committed to play softball at Georgia. She has been very vocal, from my understanding, where she wants him to play, and she wants him to go to school with him. So, you know, it's not over. I do think LSU is going to try to make a play right here at the end of this thing. They've got a situation that they've, the quarterback could come in there and play pretty quickly. So uh, you know, he's going to be back over this weekend. We'll see what happens um, as far as that. But a young man that's extremely talented. I think the people, Barton, we've seen it. But I had so many people this past weekend text me that saw him for the first time and didn't realize how big he is. I yeah. mean, he's 6'3", 220. You know, he's not 6'1", 195. He's 6'3", 220, and he's got thick legs, and he's strong in his upper body, and I think that's what surprises people when they first see him. So he'll be watched. I'm sure if he steps back into campus this weekend, they'll, they'll, they'll Twitter will light up again one more time. So if you want to pass along the Justin Fields T-shirt report, listeners, or follow the T-shirt report. Uh, that oh, is, that man, is, don't tag me. Don't tag me. <laughs> uh, you can follow Rusty Mansell on Twitter at Mansell247, M-A-N-S-E-L-L. Rusty, man, this is uh, this is not going to be the last time. we got to get you back and because uh, Georgia's, Georgia's the story in the East, man. We're excited for this weekend. Thank you for joining the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you guys for having me. Our thanks to our distinguished guests. Distinguished. Gary Danielson, Rusty Mansell. Um, this this is fun. An SEC-flavored uh, twenty episode of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Hey, we got we to gotta give a little love to the Kentucky-Mississippi State and Vanderbilt fans when we can. This is, uh, like Gary said, this is going to be a, uh, a unique 
entertaining SEC weekend. Do you think that uh, Kentucky gets the Gators? Uh, I'm, I'm, as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, I am still undecided, but I'm warming up to it. Oh, I'm, I'm going against the spread for sure. Oh, you're uh, Thursday. You will be submitting your picks via proxy. You'll send your locks to me. Absolutely, I got to keep riding this heater. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting my wife having a baby uh, be be a be a cooler for me. I'm 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 ready to roll. Much uh, m- much love and all the thoughts to uh, the Simmons clan. It's uh, it's it's going to be an eventful rest of the week for you. So uh, it's been a long nine month preseason. <laughs> We're ready for game day. Ready. All fired up for game day. Tom Fernelli will be here uh, and we will be holding it down, dropping the locks as best we can. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast because subscribers get them first. Barton, best of luck. Talk soon. Thanks, brother. See you.